The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, we're asking how we can do better when it comes to creating less waste in our beauty routines. That's right. And I think it shows, honestly, Carlene, how far this conversation has come. You know, in our magazine days, back in the day, it would just be one month a year in April when we would talk about sustainability or the environment or anything Mm -hmm. to do with green beauty, so to speak. So I love that. Now it's just top of mind for people all year long. And I feel like that's a huge shift, really. That's right. It doesn't have to be Earth Month to talk about looking after the environment. Yeah. And I personally am really looking forward to today's chat because I honestly have so much guilt around how wasteful my personal care routine can be, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you're personally very passionate about sustainability and beauty, and I've always admired that about you. So I'm excited for today's episode as well. Yes. And, you know, I've shared on the show before that I've gone to great lengths to make sure as few things go in the trash as possible. Like, remember the time I took like more than 100 bottles of nail polish to the hazardous waste depot to properly dispose of them because I just couldn't throw them out and I let them pile up. Yes. I I mean, who knew they were hazardous waste? But uh, the one that actually had my jaw like dropped was when you told me more recently that you put used beauty products on the curb after you mm-hmm. cleaned out your bathroom and that they actually vanished right away. People took them home from the curb. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I donate so many products and give them away, but I had these certain serums and moisturizers that had airless pumps and I had tried like one or two pumps and I was like, I can't throw this away. This is like, yeah you know, good product. And they even had Mm -hmm. fragrances that smelled amazing, but I just didn't have any use for them anymore. And I had like half used designer candles that were like half burnt. And I was like, well, maybe somebody will upcycle these. And I put the whole box on the curb and people took everything and they even, they were just gone. Yeah. They even took like my used eyeshadow palettes. Wow. Even in the pandemic. Well, guys, whoever's out there and did that, um, (laughs) I do hope that you'll put a little alcohol on a reusable pad and just give it a little wipe down. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. So it's great to divert waste. And I think that's what's new and next in the low waste movement is simply creating less waste from the outset. So to help us get the 411 on how we can clear the excess in our own routines and what's new in the industry what's popping, where we're getting ahead. We've partnered with Etique, spelled E-T-H-I-Q-U-E. And today's guest is the New Zealand-based brand founder, Brianne West. So Brianne's a complete dynamo in the zero waste movement. She's a scientist turned kitchen chemist, and she started her business creating solid beauty bars in her kitchen in 2012, all of which are naturally derived, biodegradable, safe, and cruelty-free. Etique has grown exponentially since then. She crowdfunded in 2015 to get the brand to scale. She attracted more than 300 female investors. That was actually record-breaking, by the way. And then a short time after that, the brand went viral thanks to an article on Ashton Kutcher's A Plus K website. 
And then Britney Spears shared it. And now Etik is valued at more than $100 million, with 20% of its net profit donated to worthy causes every year. So definitely a brand you guys don't want to be sleeping on. They're setting the bar high, as it were. Now they have 28 products from shampoo to serum, and even the face cream is in a solid bar. To date, they have saved more than 11 million plastic containers from reaching landfill. They're on track to prevent the manufacturing of more than 500 million plastic containers by 2030. Wow. So in today's chat, you'll hear about baby steps you can do to create a more low-waste routine for your home. The one type of beauty product everyone needs to ditch, stat. And you'll learn about a brand new lip product that you can actually plant packaging and all in your home garden. So here she is. Welcome, Brianne. I used to care so much about portraying a perfect life and acting like everything was okay when really things were far from it. I was secretly battling anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder. So it was a lot. I'm Victoria Garrick, former Division I athlete, mental health advocate, and host of RealPod. Every Wednesday, I sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, and more to talk about the inner thoughts and feelings that we're all struggling with. So leave the filters and facetunes at the door and join me on RealPod. Welcome, Brianne. So before we get into all of the zero waste chat and news, uh, when we were prepping for this interview, we read that your first business ever was as a pet detective. You created a little mini agency at age eight. And I felt like that belongs in like a Beverly Cleary book. So tell us more about that. I feel like this is one of those things that will follow you around the internet forever. <laughs> I hope so. It's so much more interesting, isn't it? These little yes. stories. If yes. I told you I mean, but everything about it, I'd be lying. But I just remember that I really wanted a business card like my dad. I loved the idea because I was a very, oddly enough, at that point, I was a very outdoorsy kid. Um, and I really wanted to to wander around. I wanted to use an excuse to go and find animals and spend time with animals. And I thought, you know, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to be like, because um, my mum didn't have a business card at the time, which, you know, I looked down upon because I thought, well, if she doesn't have a business card, then really, what is she even doing? Which is <laughs> terrible. But, um, I don't have a business card now. I think they're pointless. Moms but, need business cards too. I mean, yeah, she was working, but she just didn't have one. And I, uh, yeah, I just thought, you know, right, I'm going to go put some posters up. I don't know what I called it. I don't even know if I had a name. <laughs> um, but then I, I went and looked on notice boards around around Macandrew Bay, which is uh, um, in Dunedin in New Zealand, and um, wandered around the bay looking for lost animals. And if I could find them, I would help. I only found a cat. I think it only existed for a month or so. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's a win. That family yeah. was happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't. They did not pay me the finder's fee, though. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, it's safe to say that loving animals and the environment came naturally to you from a young age, and now you work in the business of sustainability through beauty, which makes it kind of fun. Tell us about what you do and what's the ethos of your brand in a nutshell. The long and short of it is, um, so I. I founded and run a company called Atik, which we call the world's most sustainable cosmetics company. And in that we mean we not only produce a low waste product, but we consider everything about the way we operate, um, our supply chain, who makes the product, who who provides the ingredients of the product, ensure that they're paid fairly, treated ethically, and that everything we put into our product is as sustainable as humanly possible. So really it's an all-encompassing area 
from climate positive, so carbon negative. We uh, offset more carbon than we produce. Um, we are palm oil free. So we literally try and put as, as much sustainability into the brand as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And every single thing that you produce, they're all in solid bar forms. Yes. Yes, they are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Although as technology develops, I think this will change a little bit. But yeah, so we produce shampoo bars, conditioners, moisturizers, yeah. uh, pretty much everything you'd find in your bathroom. And we've since moved into uh, kitchen products and cleaning products with our concentrate range, which is a different range again. So with our shampoo bars or conditioner bars, for example, you use them as bars. But with our concentrates, it's literally like a, it looks like a block of chocolate. You snap it up into little pieces, mix it with some boiling water and you have a liquid product because Genius. at the end of the day, not everybody likes bars. Yeah. Okay. Nice, simple solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So for anyone who doesn't know, Brianne, how would you define zero waste beauty and how is it different than sustainable beauty? Like what is, what makes it quantifiable zero waste? Well, sustainable um, is kind of an overused term. It doesn't mean anything to me. Sustainability means something you could do for an infinite period of time because the ingredients you use or whatever you put into that product is readily available and always will be, which is harder than you might think. And to me, that also means that at the end of its life, a product can be infinitely recycled or composted so that the remainder of the product, whatever is left, is still useful for the planet. That also then ties in very nicely to zero waste because zero waste really only deals with the end product which is, you know, so if you took a liquid bottle, a a plastic bottle of liquid shampoo, obviously you have a problem with what you do with the plastic bottle. And everyone says, yes, that's great, but they're they're recyclable. And yes, maybe some shampoo bottles are technically recyclable, but statistically they won't be recyclable. So they end up in landfill or obviously in a lot of our waterways. And I don't consider bottles zero waste. I, I don't think anybody else does. So zero waste to me in that regard would be at the end of the use of your products, you either have nothing left or you have waste that is, readily genuinely compostable and compostable not biodegradable so that something can then use that uh, that waste as it were to grow to provide its nutrients and that's what our cardboard boxes are we've seen a lot of brands in the beauty industry starting to shift towards glass bottles and you know sort of saying that's an improvement from the plastic is that any better it really depends on where you are Look, there is no such thing as an easy answer to these sustainability or environmental or any questions in general because it depends where the glass is made. Um, it depends if it's recycled glass, which by and large, it's usually not because we have so much of the stuff. For some reason, we, we, don't, we can't get through the amount of recycling. So typically, it's, it's usually virgin glass. Um, recycling glass is very energy intensive. It's also because it's such a heavy product. Shipping it to recycling plants is also carbon intensive. So if you are using a glass bottle that is um, recycled and will be recycled again, and you are within a certain distance to within a recycling plant and then a, a new manufacturing plant, uh, yes, then glass is probably better, but it actually works out to be considerably more energy intensive and therefore emits a lot more carbon than plastic. So sure, we may have less of the problem at the end, but oftentimes glass manufacturer produces more waste at the beginning. So waste is, it, it's, I mean, I, I just defined zero waste. And I didn't talk about carbon emissions, for example, which was an oversight, but that should be considered a part of the process as well. Um, what you use to make the product, whether it's um, carbon emissions or whether it's the plastic containers that your ingredients come in, all of that needs to come into it as well. Mm. So glass to me is not zero waste, unless of course the company does uh, does have its own recycling program and does offset 
um, its own emissions and, and so on and, and mm-hmm. working towards mm-hmm. um, removing them as much as possible. Also, I just feel like glass in the bathroom. Like, why are we even going there, guys? Yeah, it's not a good idea. <laughs> it's a danger zone for me. I'll tell you that. We're also hearing more of the term lately, uh, low waste rather than or in addition to zero waste. Do you think that's because people find zero waste daunting or maybe not realistic or, you know, what would you say? Yeah, I guess it's a couple of thoughts is um, just by nature of being human, it's impossible to live a zero waste life. So if you are adhering to uh, the strict definition of it, you would be setting yourself up to fail because it's not possible. You know, there are lots of people out there who live a life and they, they stuff all of their waste in a jar, which is great because that's their landfill waste that can't be recycled. But the problem is they're assuming that all their recycling waste is being recycled and we've already we've already ascertained it probably won't be. So low waste is probably a nicer, more realistic way of looking at things perhaps. Um, it takes mm-hmm. into consideration things that, that you can't control. Again, carbon emissions would be a good example. Um, perhaps it's, it's a nicer way of, of tackling the problem without being super, super perfectionist, I guess. You know, what we need is, you know, the, there's a saying, what we need is a million people doing sustainability imperfectly, not one doing it perfectly, which mm-hmm. is dead right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I'm curious to get your take on this because I feel like in the last year, like I remember in in March of 2020 and everybody started talking about PPE and masks and I was like, oh my God, once again, we're back to like disposable everything. And I feel like a lot of the headlines were sort of like the pandemic has killed the zero waste movement because we're all using face coverings, face shields, takeaway containers, single use shopping bags, like the list goes on. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think we lost ground? Uh, look, without question, the pandemic has created more waste, but <laughs> it's kind of an inarguable need, right? It's a necessity. People's lives are at stake. So it's not something you even begin to argue with. What I believe it has done has made people aware of that. And therefore, they're aware of single-use plastic. They're aware of it in the other side of their lives where they can avoid it more easily. So they are more considerate of things like straws. I mean, straws are, (laughs) they became this poster child for zero waste, but really straws are so not even a drop in the bucket of things we should be concerned about. But it is a symptom of people thinking about other things. Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, we're using a lot more single-use plastic in the medical side of things to keep ourselves safe, but it's making people think about their plastic use elsewhere and that it can only be a good thing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned straws. They used to be sort of the root of all evilness. What do you think it is now, especially when it comes to beauty? Like, what would be the number one thing that you're like, this has got to go, guys, if there's one takeaway you get from this episode? I actually think it's the contents. So I think it would be the um, the microplastics people don't know are hidden in their cosmetics because it's not just microbeads. Uh, a lot of people assume we're the outlaw of microbeads that all plastics and cosmetics have gone, but it's things like glitter. Um, it's things like, you know, polyethylene. They are in sneaky little disguises in your cosmetic products that you then wash straight down the drain and they're so small they don't get picked up by treatment plants and then they head straight out into our waterways. That to me is a problem people don't know enough about. Is that something you could see on the label? Yes, you can. Yeah. What would we look for? Yeah, I mean, glitter. Glitter is mm-hmm. glitter is very mm-hmm. obvious. And polyethylene is, is an example of something you would see written on the label as an ingredient. If it's sparkly, it's not always a plastic-based glitter, but the majority of the time it would be. 
I think there needs to be a lot more education around that. And actually, it's something we're going to write a blog about and probably do a video about ourselves because a lot of people don't know about it. Um, and what you don't know about, you can't stop because of that that lack of education, the lack of awareness, and the fact that it just flows straight into our waterways and there is no way of pulling it back out. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a concern too. People are aware of plastic bottles. People are aware of the overpackaging that happens in the beauty industry. And already, because of that pressure from consumers, beauty brands are trying to make a difference. So, you know, now I think we need to perhaps look at what's in the products and what mm-hmm. is that doing heading into our waterways. Mm-hmm. So many aspects to this for sure. It's like these are, could all be their own podcast episode, I feel like. <laughs> Where do you think we have improved the most in the cosmetics industry in terms of consumer habits since you started your brand in 2012? Something that you're like, okay, we're making progress here. People are asking for more. So I don't, I know my answer is probably super annoying, but I actually don't think it's one particular issue. I think people are caring more in general. So people not only want a zero or low waste product, so they are contemplating what their products are packaged in and they are asking those brands for better. So, you know, you see a lot more, as you've mentioned, glass. You also see a lot more aluminium, which is very readily recyclable and lighter. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because of its manufacturing, it's it's no lightweight for carbon emissions either. But that's one aspect is people are demanding better packaging. People are demanding more transparency with supply chains and the living wage. Um, I'm not sure if it's a, a thing so much in every country. I don't believe it is. But in New Zealand, for example, we're living wage certified, which means we absolutely guarantee that every one of our team will be paid, uh, I think currently it's twenty one fifty five, which you know our team are paid a lot more than that. But at minimum, we would be nowhere near the minimum wage. So that's what the living wage idea is. And people are demanding that people are paid fairly throughout the team and throughout um, the supply chain. And to me, the supply chain has always been the really insidious, dirty little secret in the beauty industry because it's so easily hidden. For example, um, pretty much every bite of chocolate you've ever eaten will have had some link with child labour because people don't realise how abhorrent the cocoa industry is. A lot of companies are now working towards already using fair trade cocoa butter like we are. And that is that is an enormous step because that really does make a difference in people's lives with some immediacy. Mm-hmm. So I think overall, people care. And it's not for lack of caring, you know, eight years ago. It's simply a lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you mentioned that your products are palm oil free. We know that this ingredient is really tough to track where the original sources are. And there is a lot of labor issues and people being exploited and things. Was it just like too daunting to even try to get a source that was worth using? Or was it the environmental thing? I'm just curious your take on that. Palm oil is an interesting topic because without question, if we stopped using it entirely and went to the next most efficient oil, which is coconut oil, that would be a massive environmental disaster because we would need four times the trees, four times the land use to get the same amount of oil that we do currently out of palm. However, palm oil, the way it is produced is hideously unsustainable. Um, It's done in a monoculture. There is, you know, horrendous ways of clearing ancient rainforests, which are massive carbon sinks. Uh, it, as you mentioned, it's full of human rights abuses. Lots of people are trapped in the cycle. It really, and obviously, there's an awful lot of habitat destruction, which is directly leading to the extinction. And they they do really believe that orangutans will be extinct in the wild in ten years wow. due to demand for an oil that is disgraceful. It's worse as we know about it, and and to be frank, not a lot going on about it. Now there are there is the RSPO, which does attempt to trace palm oil from source, um, but there are. There are loopholes. Um, there is a lot of abuse of the system through lack of resource and whatnot. It's not foolproof. And I believed at the time, and I still do, that you cannot guarantee sustainable palm oil is necessarily so. And it's not necessarily, it certainly wouldn't be fair trade. You don't know how the people are being treated because it's too much of a convoluted supply chain. 
What I do think is an option for us in the future, and I would like to pursue, but it wouldn't need to be something when um, the pandemic is properly, you know, in a few years properly over and done with and everybody's vaccinated and safe, because we'd need to go there, get on the ground, meet people um, and and work on perhaps a, a our own direct trade, fair trade um, plantation for palm oil. It's a really lovely ingredient as well. Um, it's just the way it's produced is despicable, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even these big businesses that are trying to create changes and, you know, that's what they say, are they, do you think they're making any headway or you're just... Well, they tend to miss all their pledges that they go out and do. So, yeah, I don't know if it's lip service. Look, I appreciate turning those big ships around, those big corporates around is hard. So, so much harder than starting with, you know, sustainability at the core. That would be incredibly difficult to get people on board and then to change all those policies. But they also miss all of these pledges that they set themselves. I don't know if it's lack of trying or if it really is a lot more difficult than I would imagine. Maybe it's a combination of both. But no, I don't believe enough has changed here yet. So until we can either guarantee that, I won't use it. So for anyone who's curious about transitioning to a zero waste or lower waste personal care routine, what do you think... What could be some baby steps they could take that can make a really big difference to the environment, but won't sacrifice their time or performance of the products? Keeping an open mind because people see bars and look, there's um, in the last eight, well, certainly in the last five years, a lot of brands have come out with bar versions of, of hair care products primarily. It's, it's pretty cool to see a, a real uh, surge in this sort of revolution, as we like to call it. So keeping an open mind that just because something is a bar doesn't mean it's soap. Everyone actually assumes because it's a bar, it's soap and therefore it'll be drying and it'll strip the color out of your hair. But it's literally, well, some some brands are literally exactly what you get in a bottle of salon quality shampoo just without the water. There's no difference. So keeping an open mind and trying things, I think, is the key because once you try one thing and you think, okay, that, that shampoo bar, for example, that worked for me. Okay, I'm going to try the next thing. Look, going out and saying replacing all your plastic packaged products with something that's packaged in compostable paper is obviously the gold standard. But a lot of people are nervous about doing that. So just mm-hmm. try one thing. Maybe you want to try a face product because you're worried about having a bad hair day or you have particular hair that you like and needs to stay a lot of silicon, for example. Just try something on maybe a lower impact on your life to see how it goes. Um, I always say that people start the entrance into a teak through hair care, and they do. There are hero products, very much what people start with and then migrate through to other areas. But some people are very concerned about upsetting their hair, as it were, so they might want to try a body wash or something. Just mm-hmm. try it, take that first step, realize, oh, yeah, this works just as well, and then take the next one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makeup is difficult, if I'm yeah. honest. Makeup is very difficult. But, you know, we might have a solution to that at some point. Oh, okay. Well, stay tuned. And what is the best seller in your line? I'm curious what people are kind of using nonstop in their zero waste journey. Definitely shampoo and conditioner bars. Yeah. But the concentrates are beginning to, you know, they're much newer. So we have less sales history. But uh, yeah, concentrates are beginning to snake their way up the best seller list. So people love the surface cleaner, for example. Yeah. Your typical, um, your general purpose cleaner can be about 97% water. So you're literally buying a new plastic container every few weeks to spray what's mostly water, which is already in your kitchen, in your tap, right? Mm-hmm. That is absolute madness. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people are resonating with that and that's why that is such a popular product. But yes, people uh, typically buy a, a shampoo bar and stick with them because they are 
taken aback and surprised. If you go and read our reviews, most of them start with, I'm so skeptical, but I love it. Yeah. And so just tell us, like, walk us through what it's like to use a shampoo bar and a conditioner bar. Like, what, what are the actual steps you need to lather it up? To, what about long hair, all that? Uh, well, I used to have long hair um, when I first started using these um, until, you know, life got in the way there. But um, you wet the bar, wet your hair. But you do want to have quite wet hair because, again, the bar doesn't contain any water. So you, you need you aid in the water with your shower or bath. Um, you slide the bar four to five times from a root to tip. You put the bar down and then you lather the product in your hair. It will lather exactly like a normal shampoo. And then you rinse it off exactly like a normal shampoo. So application aside, it's exactly the same as um, a liquid product. You're just making it into a liquid kind of on your hair as you as you use it. That makes sense. Okay. What about the conditioner? And the conditioner is the same. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the conditioner mm-hmm. is very much the same. The only difference you'll find with the conditioner because um, they don't have the, the same level of water and um, ours don't have the silicon. They won't feel as slippery until you rinse. Mm-hmm. So you, again, wet hair, slide the bar several times down your hair, massage it in, leave it in for a couple of minutes if you want to, and then rinse. And that's when you get that slippery, magical, super hydrated feeling, whereas mm-hmm. you don't get it immediately like you do with a liquid conditioner. I read some stat when I was uh, researching uh, your story about like something like 82% of people repurchase the shampoo bars. Yes, it is. We have is a phenomenal true? repurchase rate. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's people who buy our samplers or our minis, you know, so our little heart-shaped yeah. sample bars, and we'll go on and purchase a full-size product. It's interesting. You mentioned earlier about the face wash and people assume that it's drying and that. And I do recall, I can't remember who we interviewed a while back, but they were saying cleansing bars by nature because of the way you make them, whatever the ingredient is, I forgot what it is, are stripping. So kind of, you know, I'm curious how you formulated to get that kind of pH balance, non-stripping. You kind of alluded to that earlier. Yeah, well, it's not true. Because again, all of our is is the same ingredients in a product except without the water. So what mm-hmm. that person is probably referring to is the idea of soap. But again, mm-hmm. not all bars are soap. Right. So soap is when you mix an oil with an alkali like sodium hydroxide and it forms a product that has a high pH and it's impossible, despite what people may tell you, it is chemically impossible to lower the pH of soap. Because if you do, then the molecules fall apart and you get this horrible sludge. Mm-hmm. So putting that aside, soap... Look, a lot of people, I, I use it fine, um, but some people are sensitive to it because of the pH. Um, it's fine on some people on their skin because your acid mantle will very rapidly replace your your skin's natural pH, which is around 5 to 6, depending on a few things. Mm-hmm. Around that 5.5 mark, as Dove tell us all the time. Bars, again, different. So they're, they're called, um, by and large, they're called syndet bars. So it stands for synthetic detergent bars, which is a you know, phrase people don't use because it doesn't sound very good. But Let's remember that natural doesn't mean safe because arsenic is 100% natural and will kill you. And detergent really just means something that foams, mm-hmm. really. So Cindy bars are pH-balanced face cleansers or, or any kind of cleanser or shampoo that's made with uh, the exact same ingredients in a liquid shampoo, so surfactants made from something like coconut oil, for example. Then you've got things like you want your oils for your hydration, your your humectants, your film-forming agents, everything again like in your liquid cleanser. There is just much less of the water or probably none of the water in there. Mm-hmm. So I think that comment's probably specifically about soap. Yes, mm-hmm. that's ringing a bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so soap, soap is too high a pH, whereas a Syndet bar or, or a more, let's say a more advanced formula nowadays, 
Um, and again, I'm not I'm not saying soap's a bad thing. If it works for you, great. Works for me, fine. Right. But for people who want to avoid soap, face cleansers are fine. Okay. Like, can you call it a cleansing bar, or does that imply that it's a soap? No, uh, I think you can call it what you like. Soap has a has a definition in the cosmetic yeah. literature, um, and it does it does mean a product that it's made with an oil and an alkali. Um, right. So yes, calling something a, a cleansing bar—that's what we call our face cleansers. Okay. Yeah, and I want to ask you. We've talked a lot about like the cleansing aspect, but you have serums, you have moisturizers. Those are also in bars. Is that correct? They are. Okay, I haven't had a chance to try them. So how do you use that? They're solid balms, right, or solid creams. So they, they're in ovals or they're in tubes. Um, if they're in an oval, you sort of hold it between your hands for a couple of seconds until a little bit melts, put the oval down, pat into your face. Um, it goes on. So the serum goes on just like a normal serum. It's silicon-free. Most of your facial serums that aren't oil-based are silicon-based, which is why they have that slightly drier, super slippery feel, and then they feel like they absorb very quickly. That's because the silicon's evaporating off. Um, then you have your oil-based serums, and ours is an oil-based serum. So it's um, super, super, super concentrated, very intense. You only need a little bit, it goes a long way. Um, for moisturizers, they are a little bit different feeling, but they are the same idea. So a cream is water and oil emulsified, um, and that's exactly what's in a, in a moisturizer like our Perfecta. And again, you apply it in the exact same way. It doesn't feel, um, you know how when you apply a, a face cream, it, it feels really thick and creamy instantly, and then it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and then you apply it as normal because it is a solid it feels a little bit different to apply but then as soon as it's on your skin it feels exactly the same acts exactly the same it's just got that slightly lower content of water so they are typically more nourishing depending on the formula okay mm-hmm. but it's pretty unusual to find one can't wait to try those yeah well we'll send you some out so. yeah awesome okay and what about your latest product, the compostable lip balms? This is a great idea. Uh, we read a stat that we throw out almost 200 million plastic lip balm tubes in the bin every year. So tell us how yours is unique, because I understand you plant the whole entire thing. Yeah, you can do. There are a few compostable lip balms around there. We are not the first to do this, so just to make that clear. Um, but it, it's an obvious solution. So I think we were, I was first looking at tubes back about six years ago because they're actually in one of our first how to use videos and at the bottom it says prototype tube coming soon which clearly was not true but um (laughs) it took us a long time to get here Uh, the idea look I don't know about you guys but I have never in my life finished a lip balm I have Mm -hmm. almost always lost them or given them to someone or, or something's happened to them and that means, unfortunately, due to me, there are lots of plastic lip balm tubes out there that are probably still full of lip balm and will never be recycled because anything smaller than a credit card, depending on on your infrastructure, but typically depending on the size, it will never be recycled because it's too small. Mm. So lip balm tubes are not, and we use so many of them. So we just wanted to create something that would disappear if it ended up in the environment, if it ended up in the ocean, it wouldn't cause harm. So it's simply a paper tube like our rest of our packaging um, it's got a plant wax liner because obviously you don't paper does not cope with oil very well, nor does it cope with water. So it does have a um, a wax a plant wax liner on the inside, and uh, the whole thing is fully compostable. So you use the lip balm and then you can just bury it in the soil, bury it in your plant pot, in your garden, in your compost heap, whatever, and it will completely compost. Pretty cool. Wow. Cool. Okay. I love the ad, by the way. It's so cute. <laughs> they did an amazing they really shot. Did. They always do. I didn't see it. What is it? It's it's so good. It's just like a very close up of like the models talking and their lips and seeing sort of the product. I, it's hard to explain. It's like ASMR mixed with just like, I don't know how to explain it. It's so good. Okay. We're, we'll have to put it on our on our uh, blog. Okay, cool. 
I think, uh, Carlene, you were going to ask if they were tinted. I don't know if you said oh, that. Oh, yeah. Are they tinted? Yeah, so one of them is. Uh, we've got five, and one of them, called okay. Sugar Plum, is tinted. Just a sort of a, as you know, it's impossible to get a color that fits everybody, let's be honest. But mm-hmm. it's it tries to please as many poss- as people as possible. Because, you know, this is a bit of an experiment, a little bit like the concentrates. We wanted to see how people react to the idea of cut- on possible shoots mm-hmm. and by lip balm from us. And um <laughs> To say it's been successful is a little bit of an understatement. So we will be expanding that. We will produce more colors. Okay, cool. Was there a partnership with an NGO or something with this launch? Yeah. Part of our, one of our cornerstone ethics or ethical pieces is our fair trade program or our direct trade program. So we work with uh, producers around the world to ensure that they're paid a fair price and they're treated fairly and then they can go and look after their communities and their environment. So in this product, there is a lot of fair trade ingredients like the cocoa butter. Mm-hmm. And the coconut oil, but the the key ingredient and the key partnership for this product is the moringa oil, which comes from a cooperative in Rwanda, which is a really really cool partnership. Unfortunately, I obviously have not had chance to get over there yet, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping in the next few years, you go and see their their amazing work firsthand. Let's talk about disposable makeup wipes. So there's a big trend that we see in the makeup world right now toward biodegradable or bamboo makeup wipes, cotton. You know, but they do get covered in mascara, long wear foundation, and the rest of it. Do these get a pass or no? If it's single use, the answer is no. Okay, that's probably not a fair comment. If it's single use and there is a, an option for a multi-use version of it, the, then mm-hmm. the answer is no. Yes, some of these things may well be compostable, but you are still using something once and then binning mm-hmm. it. It is still an enormous waste of resources. Um, cotton, for example, is enormously water hungry and enormously so and to use something made of cotton and then to wipe it away or throw it away sorry that's that's a real waste it is far better in that situation to use face cloths say you know what just have have your bathroom for 14 face cloths for, for a week's use and then morning and the evening wash your face use a face cloth throw it in the wash machine that's a vastly more sustainable option yeah so people who are easing their conscious they're like oh i love makeup wipes i can't give them up i'm going to use these biodegradable ones instead they're not really. My question is like, do they actually biodegrade? Has anyone actually followed this up and put seen them in if the they, yeah, and looked, yes. dug them up 10 years later, you know? So, yeah. I mean, if it takes 10 years, it's not technically compostable. Mm-hmm. It has to be a lot quicker than that. But um, yes, there are some genuinely compostable makeup wipes out there. I don't know brands off the top of my head, um, but I have seen testing results of mm-hmm. them being compostable. The problem is a lot of people flush them down the toilet. Oh, God. Mm. And that is a real issue. And I know that um, treatment facilities hate them because they clog things up. They call, cause fatbergs and sewers, which is definitely not something you should Google. That's disgusting. They are, um, they're problematic. In, it's too in late. Drains. I've already seen. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're, um, they're not ideal flush down the, the drains. They're not ideal thrown away. Look, I appreciate makeup wipes are super, super handy. Mm. But I would, if you were trying to be sustainable, going from the compostable option is it's not the one mm-hmm. no and you know in the beauty industry typically it's all about newness and innovation right how do you respond to folks who say the most sustainable thing is is to simply not launch new products at all no they're absolutely right this, the most sustainable thing for us to do <laughs> beyond not existing which is a little bit of an existential nightmare um, <laughs> the most sustainable thing for us to do would be to not buy anything at all and my answer when someone says I want to live a, a more sustainable life is to say we'll stop buying stuff we don't need the way I firmly believe that Atik is doing far more good than bad is the fact that we're displacing products that people would use anyway we're not creating a product for a product's sake 
Um, and we never do that because occasionally customers will come to us and say, hey, we want to create this. And we all think, no, because that's not something anybody needs. Or, no, we've already got a product that will cover that. That's why we like multi-use products so much. You know, there's, you know, a conditioner you can use as a conditioner, a shaving balm, an in-shower moisturizer. It's good to have products that will cover lots of bases. So I understand where people are coming from. Yes, you're creating a product. Therefore, by definition, you are using resources. But if you are using those resources in a thoughtful way that provides people with employment and economic empowerment, which we are, and you are ensuring you consider the entire life cycle of that product, again, which we are, and you are displacing a much less sustainable product, I think that's a net win. Absolutely. It's when products are out there and there's an awful lot of them and it drives me insane where it's a bog standard normal product. There's not really a lot of thought gone into it. And they say, oh, if you buy this product, we'll plant a tree. That is an absolute loss. That's a real shame that people do that um, because it's greenwashing. You're not solving any problems. You're not creating any solutions. You're just making people feel slightly better for buying something that they that is just going to do just as much harm. And yeah, maybe there's a tree that exists somewhere in the world, but that's greenwashing and that's not helpful. But if you're displacing a product that people are going to buy anyway, that's a win. I listened to you on another podcast and I've heard you say that when people say, oh, your products are good for the environment, you're actually, you're like, no, they're not. Like I've never heard another a founder say that out loud. <laughs> so sure, my marketing it, team think I'm crazy <laughs> at times, but let's be honest. But at the end of the day, nothing humans create typically is good for the environment. Mm-hmm. It is not good for a shampoo bar to end up in a in a pond. But we want to wash our hair because we want to feel good and have shiny hair, and we don't want to smell. You don't want to sit next to someone in a, mm-hmm. in a bus, and you know they they smell horrible. People are going to continue to buy hygiene products. Yep. These are better. For the environment, but they are not out there making more habitat. You know, they're not good for the environment. Look, it might be it might be a stupid small definition tweak, but to me, those sorts of things are important. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. As an insider in the field, what what do you think the future of zero waste beauty might look like in the next five to ten years? I would say I want to put a bar in every shower, and I don't necessarily just mean in a teak bar. You know, I want to change consumers' perceptions, and I believe that that is happening. I believe people are changing what they think beauty should be, and I believe that they are demanding more of their beauty brands, so that beauty brands are going to start thinking along the same lines as us. So I think that's going to mean better packaging, less packaging. You know, why do you need a jar and a box in a box? That's, that's crazy. So I think it's going to mean less packaging. It's going to mean better packaging. You know, it's something as super simple as making your packaging, your jar out of the same plastic, the same types of plastic makes it infinitely more sustainable because most jars are made out of two different types of plastic, which makes them much less recyclable. So that sort of thing, you're, you're going to see a change in plastic. You're going to see a change in formulas. You're already seeing it. You know, everybody is starting to smack the word and has been for years, smack the word natural or organic on there. And they're looking 90% of the time it's greenwashing, but you are seeing consumers demand that a lot more. You're also seeing um, a lot more science demanded, which is a really nice side to things. So people are actually requesting that ingredients like vitamin C are actually used appropriately um, rather than just smashed on the label. Um, People are a lot more educated. And then um, finally, and about time, it's the idea of Again, the clean supply chain, Mm. the idea that everybody involved in the making of a product from the ingredients back or forward is is paid and treated fairly. People are beginning to understand that supply chains are complicated and usually quite murky, but they're demanding transparency, and that's really nice. And there's some some wonderful companies doing it. I mean, the body shop's been doing that since, uh, Mm -hmm. what, the 80s. But they've been on their own for a long time, uh, and other Mm -hmm. businesses are really starting to care about that, which is really nice. 
And our last question for you, Brianne, what is the biggest reason why our listeners should consider dabbling in a low-waste beauty lifestyle? Because if we don't, we're going to lose life in our oceans and cause more habitat loss than we have now. Look, at the end of the day, a low-waste beauty routine is, is not going to save the planet, but it sure isn't going to hurt. Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday. 